All right, I'm going to read in First Peter. First Peter, I'm going to start in chapter 1 just to get us started and jump into the gospel a little bit and talk about what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. So First Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who were protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ and though you have not seen him you love him and though you do not see him now but believe in him you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of this grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So here we can see that Jesus Christ, he came and he died and his blood was shed for our sins and God has done all the work he's the one that that saved us he's the one that changed us he's the one that loves us and we can see that the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals the gospel to us he's the one that teaches us and shows us how that we can continue growing and glorifying God hey how are you <clears throat> and so it, it talks about how even the prophets were, were prophesying about these great things in the future, about the gospel, about how that the Savior would come and save us, right? And so as time proceeds and progresses, all these prophecies began to be fulfilled, right? And so it's amazing when you look at the, at the life of Christ, how that he fulfilled every single prophecy that was given about him directly, and so every prophecy that, that the Old Testament ever says about Christ came to be fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. 
And then it talks about how um, that this is so amazing, that this is such an amazing work, that Jesus Christ took on the nature of mankind, came to this earth, became one of us, died, was buried, and this talks about him being re resurrected from the dead on our behalf so he could save us who are a rebellious people, what does is, what is the angels do? It's amazing, you know? It's, this is such an amazing thing that the angels, it says that they long to look. They're amazed by that. They're amazed at how much that God has shared His love and His mercy and His grace with us, with mankind. That's something, you know, I think it's something that sometimes we take for granted. The angels never had Jesus die for them. You know, whenever a, an angel makes a mistake, they get kicked out of heaven, right? And there is no redemption. They don't have a second chance. They don't have a third chance. They, there's, no, there's no way for them to be redeemed. But Jesus came and died for us. And so we make mistakes all the time. We sin every day. But God loves us. His blood was shed for us. And so it doesn't matter how much that we've sinned. It doesn't matter how wretched that we can see ourselves as being. God still shed his blood for us. And angels look at us in awe and amazement because God saved us. And he's making us into being his own family, into his own children. This is an amazing thing. The gospel is the greatest news that we could ever, ever imagine. And of course we know that we can't be saved by works. That's a big part of the gospel is understanding that there's nothing we can do. There's no way to earn it. But the only way that we can do, the only way that we can have faith, have a salvation is through faith. And faith alone. And that's in Jesus Christ alone. And so, <clears throat> this is a really good passage of scripture in First Peter. And how that he reminds us of these things. And, and it's always interesting to see, you know, how the, that the angels are longing to look at the work that's continuing to happen in each one of our lives. And, and the way... Yeah. You know, you'd think they couldn't be amazed by much, you know, after that. I know. I know. That's, you know, that's such a good point that, you know, us as, as human beings, we, we long to see heaven and how amazing heaven is. And here the angels are. They're in heaven. And they think that it's amazing what we're experiencing. <laughs> we're experiencing salvation from God himself who died for us. I mean, that's amazing. Well, just the fact that we, you know, we don't see God. We don't see His glory. We don't see any of those things. So I can imagine the amazing part is it would be like us looking at some filthy, dirty person and why would you want to do something with him? <laughs> I mean, you know, either they do wrong and they're, you know, here, let me adopt you into my family. Yes, you <laughs> come sit at my table. You don't even have to, you know, do anything. And it's just, that is such a difference compared to what they were used to. And yeah. plus understanding sin in a different way. Yeah. Because the, the angels, those who, who fell, like you say, they were in the presence of God and they developed sin through their choice. And now God is giving a new creation an opportunity to choose with different circumstances. And, you know, I often wonder what God offered the heavenly host before he actually cast them out. What he said to them and um, how many opportunities that he gave them to change before it was, you know, that was it. Yeah.
Yeah. Some people believe and teach that the reason that Satan rebelled against... Now, this isn't biblical. This is just theory, theoretically, right? That the reason that Satan rebelled against God was exactly what you just said. Look at these lower creatures. Why do you love these these humans? <laughs> you know, I'm better than the humans. And pride began to kind of swell up. And so he leads a rebellion against God because of the way that he sees that. Well, we don't know if that's true or not. Well, he didn't see us that way. So it was, it was just what he had. <coughs> the higher he got, the more that he, you know, thought highly of himself. Well, that that's debatable because... Because <clears throat> we weren't created until after the fall. Well, you know, that's, deba- the that's debatable because most people believe, especially, especially scholars, um, they believe that the heavens and the earth was made on the first day, on day one of creation. That includes all angels, right? And so they were only created a few days before human beings were created. And so... We don't know how long that Adam and Eve lived on this planet before that before Satan got kicked out. But but most scholars believe Adam and Eve was on the planet before Satan was. That at some point Satan got kicked out of heaven and then came to earth and then he he tempted Adam and Eve. It could have been, you know, 20 years or 100 years. We don't know. But um <clears throat> but that's what most scholars believe and that's something um answers in Genesis is a really good website for stuff like this if you want to do some research because they've got a lot of really cool articles on this kind of stuff and it's and it's cool because a lot of the things that we've thought and taught because there's so many different views of um, when it comes to apologetics and how how old the earth is and how you know how long it was there's what's called the gap theory which believes that there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2 that could have been billions of years, but it just doesn't read that way. And so it's, it's really interesting when you start seeing actually how that it all kind of ties together and fits. But Answers in Genesis is a really good source for that kind of thing. Well, I know I've heard the, the one that when it says that Earth was about form and void, is that was because Satan and his uh, angels were cast down and... The earth was, you know, it was livable before, but when they were cast out, then it became unlivable. That's the I gap theory, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, the, yeah. I guess the, the thing is, God's silent, so we shouldn't try to guess. <laughs> yeah, we should just say, we should just say it's six literal days, you know? It's, yeah, it was it six literal days, because when yeah. you start trying to read into things, yeah. you're just making stuff up. And, uh, and the, reason that, <laughs> the reason that people do that is because of evolution. Right? It's because they say, well, we need to allow for billions of years instead of seven, eight thousand years, which is what new, you know, people who believe in young Earth believe that the, that the Earth's only somewhere between six to ten thousand years old. And so that's one of the things that Ken Ham goes out to prove. And, uh, and he's got a lot of brilliant scientists on his staff that show these type of things so but it's really cool if you guys have not ever visited his website he's the one that has um the creation museum yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, he's yeah. Awesome. 
Yeah. So I also think it's pride, though, too, because people want to think that they're smarter than everybody else, and they figured it out. No, oh, I figured yeah. it out, and so it's very pride-driven. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. I was going to say when when people start adding um, their ideas into things, then what that does, if God hasn't stated it. There's a reason that God tells us what He tells us. Yeah. And there's a purpose for it. But when we start adding things. Then we miss the real point of what God has in store. Right. And uh, yep. we can argue about those things that are not real <laughs> while missing the point. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, anyway, we always want to start out the gospel, uh, talking about the gospel in our study. And um, is there any questions or more comments or thoughts on the gospel before we jump back in to the omnipotence of God? We've got a little bit left on the omnipotence of God. We didn't quite finish last week. We've got just a little bit left. And we've been working our way through the omnis. Uh, we got to this one, which is talking about how that God has all the power in the world. There's any, any power that exists, exists because God has given it power. And so that's one of the things that we, we talked about last week. As human beings that have any kind of power at all or any kind of might, their might has to be their might or their power has to be a gift from God. He's the one that has to give he's the one that empowers anybody to have anything, right? Because he has all power. And so he, he shares some of these things. But sometimes we as men think that that we're more powerful than God. You know, some that's what the world thinks. The world thinks that they have the ability to tell God that he's wrong, <laughs> to tell God that that the things that he that he created and, and the manner in which that he governs his creation is wrong, and so oh, that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing when people start pointing their finger at God, who is all powerful and who is the one that gives them the very breath that they use to curse him. That's an amazing thing that God is giving. The person, the breath, and the power and the ability to actually curse God. And he doesn't just wipe us out when we do that. That's amazing. That shows his mercy and his grace and his patience. Um, it shows that he isn't just reactionary. Because, I mean, if, if God was reactionary because we angered him in some way, well then we would have power over God, wouldn't we? We'd have power to be able to sway Him. Um, but there's nothing that we can do. We talked last week about how that if every person on the planet could unite on one thought and one action that was against God, God would, would not change His mind because God's plan is perfect and God is perfect. So everything that God does is perfect. And to change it would say that what He, what he said, what He's done, what he's doing is imperfect, and God's imperfect, therefore. But God is a perfect God, and so that's comforting to us. It's comforting that he has the power to, to do what he says he's going to do, and there's nothing that can stop that. There's, there's no plan, there's no person who can change his mind. Satan can't change his mind. It's foolish that Satan sits and, you know, it talks about how that he that he, he accuses the brethren, right? He accuses the church. He accuses Job as if God's going to change his mind, right? 
I mean, it's just foolishness. It's silly. But we've been kind of talking about that a little bit. And we talked a little bit about how that a God like that can be frightening um, and comforting at the same time. Um, he, it can be frightening because he isn't going to change his mind. And this is especially concerning the lost. If, if a person's lost and they're outside of Christ, um, and God says that outside of Christ there is no hope for you, then that's a reality. That's a reality that outside of Christ there is no hope. And that's a frightening thought. But it's a comforting thought to know that we have true hope that we can depend on. Um, we have true peace. We have true joy because we know that our God is able. He's able to do whatever he says he's going to do. So that's something that's very comforting to us. I've got um, just a little bit left here. I've got a quote from Thomas Watson. And let me read that. It says, If God be infinite in, pow infinite in power, let us take heed of hardening our hearts against him. Who hath hardened himself against him and prospered? Job sends a challenge to all creatures in heaven and earth. Whoever took up the buckler against God and came off conqueror, for a person to go on daringly in any sin is to harden his heart against God and to raise a war against heaven. Let him remember God is El Shaddai, Almighty. He will too hard for them that, op that oppose him. Hast thou an arm like God? Such as will not bow to his golden scepter shall be broken with his iron rod. Julian, who was a Roman emperor, hardened his heart against God. He opposed him to his face. But what God, he at last, did he prosper? Being wounded in battle, he threw up his blood into the air and said to Christ, Vistai Galilees, O Galilean, thou hast overcome. I acknowledge thy power, whose name and truth I have opposed. Will folly contend with wisdom, weakness with power, finite with infinite? O take heed of hardening your heart against God. He can send legions of angels to avenge his quarrel. It is better to meet God with tears in your eyes than weapons in your hand. O may overcome you may overcome him sooner by repentance than by resistance so i thought i think that this is a good quote from from watson just talking about how powerful that god is and it doesn't matter how that we can come against anything i think it's great where it talks about him him uh, it's better to come to meet god with tears in your eyes than weapons in your hand and that's it, it seems foolish to even to even think like that, but that's what the world does, doesn't it? That's what the world does. Um, but it's 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 insanity to think that we can raise our fist against God and win somehow. <laughs> it's like in the scriptures when it talks about beating the air, you know. Yeah. We always have the picture of the little child, and the father's got his hand on the child's forehead, and the child is, you know, like he's trying to box his dad. It's just <laughs> useless, you know. <laughs> yep, yep, that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Yeah, so we should be amazed at a God like this. This is this is amazing. I've got a scripture that I threw in here in Acts 17, and I'll probably have somebody read this. Nikki, you want to read? And I, I threw this Acts 17, 16 through 21, because Paul, he's addressing some of the greatest minds um, in the day. Probably some of the greatest minds who, who've ever lived um, in Acts 17. And... What he's doing is he's addressing that they believe in a powerless God. They believe in a powerless God. And he believes, he's showing them a God who has all power, who holds everything, who created everything. A truly powerful God. So that's what this is about, and that's why I threw this in here. Nikki, would you read Acts 17? 17, 16-31? Now, while Paul was awaiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idol babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know that this new teaching is which you are proclaiming, for who are bringing some strange things to our ears? So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God, perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and even some of your own poets have said, for we are also, for we are also all his children. Yeah, so what, one of the key things that stands out here is in, in um, 24 and 25, where he says, that God does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Now, did their gods need something? Yeah. Their gods needed something. Every pagan god needs something. That's why that they do all the crazy things that they did back then, right? Um, that's why that their temples were full of massacre, um, orgies, all kinds of, of unimaginable things, sacrificing people's children, um, 
boiling their their children, putting children in brass bowls and and heating them until they die. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they that these gods needed, right? All kinds of wicked things that these gods needed. And that's what Paul's saying here is I'm he's saying your god is needy. <laughs> You've got a needy god. But my god needs nothing. This is a god that created you. He created everything. He's all powerful. He has all the power. And you guys are are serving a weak, needy God. And of course we know who this weak, needy God is because we know that any God that's not the God comes from only one source, right? And that one source is Satan. All false religions comes from Satan, right? Um, <clears throat> this next point says, the greatest philosophers and scholars of the day had placed their faith in the power of gods that didn't exist. And that's one of the things that Paul is talking about here. And we know that Satan's behind this. And we've talked in this class that how that there's really only two religions. That's why I say that. That's why I say there's only two religions. There's the true religion and there's the one from Satan, which is a multitude. But they all are the same thing because he has no imagination. And there's really no other way to, to develop a, a religion other than... You know, if it's going to be something false, it has to be something that has to do with earning, right? With being good enough, with uh, keeping law, with doing all these things to be impressive to a god. And this is the god of Satan. This is the one that he, um, this is the power that's behind all of these false things. And just like it was in the time of Paul, whenever Paul was teaching these um, these philosophers, these brilliant minds of this day, that... All the reasoning in the world, all of their wisdom, all of their philosophy, um, it fell short. It fell so short that it ultimately is going to cost them their lives and in eternity because they're believing in a God that does not exist, who has no power. Um, and so God, our God, the true God, he, we, that's what's so amazing is we don't have to, to earn anything. We don't have to, he, he doesn't need anything, right? He's not, um, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need anything. All he, all he does is he, he's the one that gives us everything, right? He's the one that gives us life. He's the one that gives us salvation. He's the one that came and became one of us and died for us. It's really an entirely different idea than than all these gods that Satan has come up with that is that is needy and is wicked and is evil and is always grasping for us to do something for them, right? Do more, do more, do more, do more. Our God says, let me do for you. <laughs> let me do for you. I don't need you. Let me do for you, right? So it's an entirely different religion. We were talking about that this morning in uh, Sunday school class. Is that, you know, you always hear the people say, we were created to bring glory to God. That's our purpose in life. And that always bugs me because, just like what you were saying, God only wants the glory because it shows who he is and that we need him and that we need what he, he has to offer. Like all the things we've ta been talking about so far, you know, about the character of God. He, he is not lacking. He doesn't need glory to be God. He doesn't need that for us. 
if he did, he isn't getting much. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think that's important that we realize that it's all for us. Yeah. That he's doing what he's doing in this existence. Yeah, God doesn't need the glory, but we need to glorify him, right? Yes. That means we recognize who he is, what he's done, and yeah. why it's important that we accept. Yeah, because that's what we're created for. We're yeah. created to glorify God. And so whenever we don't, then that robs us yeah you know it never robs god god is full yeah, we can't <laughs> there's add to we can't add to god he's perfect um but it robs us yeah. because we are not living up to what that we've created to do that what god created us to do to show us his glory to show us who he is and in such an amazing way all right well we've uh is anything else Okay, we've made it through this, and we all we have left are four questions on this one. Question number one, what is dualism? Does anybody remember what dualism is? Good versus evil. <laughs> and they're about equal, they're equal uh, powers or about yeah. equal. Thank <laughs> you. Uh-huh. thinking. We're thinking. I'm sorry to <laughs> yeah, dualism is is good is good versus evil. That's right, yin and the yang, right? <clears throat> and so it's it's the idea that there that there has to be evil to balance out good. The next question says, "What is an example of dualism? What is an example of dualism?" Any thoughts? There's a heresy that sprung up in the 300s. Starts with the A. Does anybody know what it is? That's an example of dualism. Arianism. Ever heard of Arianism? Arianism uh, is basically what Jehovah's Witnesses believe today, right? That Lucifer is the brother of Jesus, <laughs> and that's why I brought up that song from Carmen the other day about them being in a boxing match like they're equal like they're equals um, Jesus is trying to Jesus is trying to win some of us and Satan's trying to win some of us right you don't know who's going to win <laughs> who's going to win alright that's an example of dualism um, the next question says why should we take comfort in an omnipotent God? Why should we take comfort in an omnipotent God? Satan has no power over us. Very good. Very good. Satan has no power over us. That's right. Anything else stand out? El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Yeah, that's right. It would be very scary if people really control of history yeah. and the future. Oh, yeah. You know, think about the people in power all over the world today. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> if they were really in charge, we'd have good reason to live in fear all the time. We would. Yeah. We would. <laughs> it is comforting to know, you know, I mean, there's so many times throughout history that the world is, has been so so fearful of nuclear holocaust or something like that you know but we know that 
you know, that's not something that's going to happen at least until, you know, maybe the book of Revelation. <laughs> there may be some of that going on. But we don't really see any of that throughout Scripture. You know, we know there's going to be wars and war rumors of wars, but not a population killer. <laughs> not one that's going to wipe out the whole planet, right? Mm -hmm. um, of course, we know that the government is, is capable of doing some wicked things and wiping out a lot of people. <laughs> But not the whole nation, not the whole world, not the whole the whole population of the planet. We know that's not going to happen. Um, God's the one that's going to do that. <laughs> we don't have to fear nuclear bombs. We have to fear God, right? <laughs> so it's coming, but just not like what a lot of people think. Next question says, why should an, an omnipotent God be feared? Any thoughts about that? God, it's all-powerful, be feared. If you're not in Christ, he'll keep his promise for yeah. justice. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, he's, perf he's perfect in his justice, and he has the power to carry it through, doesn't he? He has the power to carry it through. Yeah, that's, that's something that... That can be. I think that's that's one of the reasons why that there's so many bad theologies out there about God is because of that. Because people don't like a God like that, right? That has all power, that is all knowing, <laughs> it's all present, um, that is sovereign, right? If he's all powerful, he's sovereign, right? If he's omnipotent. He's sovereign. I mean, that just goes hand in hand. And a lot of people just don't like that. So they start creating and inventing different theologies and different ideas. And we've gone through, we, I tr I've been trying to hit certain heresies and kind of flush those out to get us to thinking about these things because it's important for us to, to see bad views of God so that really that gives us a, a better view of who God actually is, the true God. Because uh, I think a lot of times we wrestle with certain things in our minds about God, and until we we cover these things and cover certain things, then we can have some wrong ideas or bad ideas about who God truly is. All right, so is there anything else on the omnipotence of God that we need to, to, to cover or any questions or thoughts on it before we jump over to page 70 on the immutability of God? Anything else? All right, all right. Well, we'll jump into the immutability of God then, and this one's pretty cool. This will get our, this will get us to thinking. There's some stuff in here. <laughs> there's some stuff. There's some stuff in here that'll get us to thinking for sure. So, <clears throat> we're going to start out by a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. The fabric of what this world is made is ever passing away like a stream of water drops are running away and others are following after keeping the river still full but always changing in its elements but god is perpetually the same he is not composed of any substance or material but is spirit pure essential and ethereal spirit ethereal Oh, ethereal, sorry, an ethereal spirit. And therefore, he is immutable. He is immutable. That's what we're going to be talking about. He remains everlastingly the same. There are no furrows on his eternal brow. 
no age hath pleased him, no years have marked him with the mementos of their flight. He sees ages pass, but with him it is ever now. He is the great I am, the great unchangeable. Charles Spurgeon. So Char Charles Spurgeon, you know, he, he's called the Prince of Preachers. Everybody likes Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's the one preacher that gets, he's, he's quoted no matter what denomination you're in. <laughs> it's Charles Spurgeon. He's the, he's the guy. So um, somehow he, ple he's, he pleases um, er everybody, which is, is wild because this, he, he's very um, straightforward in what he teaches and if you really know some of the things that he talks about you may not like him so much <laughs> but it seems like everybody likes him um, but this is absolutely true the world is p passing away and he talks about how that God is always the same he's he's unchangeable he's immutable and Hebrews 1 10 through 12 says and you Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. So this is, in Hebrews, it's just talking about God's immutability. He's the same. Everything else is changing. Everything else is in a, 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 the process of change. God is not ever in the process of change. Because if God had to change, then God wouldn't be perfect. right? If there was something about God imperfect, then he would change. But if God is perfect and perfectly full in everything that he is, he has no reason to change, right? You can't change perfection. You can't change something that's perfect, right? And so that's what this is talking about. And we, I've got a quote in here from Heraclitus. We've already talked about this quote, um, but it's relevant to our, to our study. And so he says that the same man cannot step into the same river twice. I love this quote. I do. And that's why that you've heard it a few times in this study. <laughs> so... Um, the same man cannot step into the same river twice. We've talked about this. I've got a question that says, why was Heraclitus correct? The river is always changing. Yes, because the river is always changing. And so does the man. And so does the man. The man, if only by seconds... Seconds is what eats us up, right? <laughs> Those seconds, one at a time. They're just clicking away from us, right? <laughs> and so they... they, they well, the first time he stepped into it, he was a man who had never done it before. <laughs> and then that can never be true again. That's exactly true. Because everything has changed. Everything's changed. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a really good quote. It's a good quote. And... So this is just showing that men are something that change. Everything else is changing. Uh, I've got a question that says, what's the word immutable mean? I think we already know that, but I've I got it thrown in there. I, sometimes I get a little bit ahead of myself. But does anybody want to question that or answer that question? What does the word immutable mean? I always like to look at the root word. What's the root word and what's the prefix of it, right? It's always good to see the root word, which is mutable, right? Mutable. Um, 
and then we have immutable. So the word, this word means that that we cannot that that it's something that cannot change. That's what that means. But the word mutable means something that changes, right? And that's what we are. We are mutable. Human beings are mutable. We're always changing, like what it talks about, what Heraclitus talked about, what Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews chapter 1, that everything, it seems to be changing, everything is changing, except God himself. Um, and we think of, I think of the word mutation. <laughs> think of the word mutation. And, you know, Hollywood sometimes gives us a, a weird view of that because Hollywood has mutants that are heroes <laughs> and Hollywood has mutants that are villains right but it's something that that shows that they have become something that they once were not right they've mutated into something else and um, but in Hollywood sometimes this mutation has a positive impact on them <laughs> um, that's not ever God, though. There is no mutation. God never changes. He's perfect in everything. So there's, there's nothing that ever is going to make God better um, or more loving, right? Or any of these things. So God is, is immutable. So he's unable to change. Um, just like all of his attributes, this gives us really a lot of great comfort and a lot of great joy that he does not change and and that's why it's always good to look at God and and how does this comfort us you know I always like to say how does this comfort us and how is this frightening <laughs> and so it's always good to look at different attributes and say how how does this help us to get a, a bigger fuller understanding of who God is and, um, and to me it's very comforting that God cannot change and does not change in our scriptures that's the one question that people always ask because it says in there he changed his mind right <laughs> so did he really change his mind or or not you know yeah because that is key to this because he had it wrong he didn't make a wise choice then it is talking about changing his mind which is not good <laughs> that's right because he was not perfect yeah yeah and that's where it gets into those anthropomorphic. That's why we asked, way back at the beginning we talked about anthropomorphic language and how that God speaks to us and communicates to us in ways that we can understand. But if you don't understand anthropomorphic language, uh, then it's easy to get a distorted picture of God. And then you start making a God in your image, all right? A God like you. Scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> scary. Very scary. So... Maybe he'll decide that I should exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we so got... Yeah, that's why it's so important he, he doesn't change. I mean, that's right. He made us, he knows what he's in for. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I've got a question here that's it's kind of um, one that you may not have ever thought about, but it says, how would you like to be immutable? <laughs> Imagine, if you were frozen exactly like you are right now for all of eternity and you could not change from this moment on ever how would you like that <laughs> yeah yeah that's kind of a terrifying thought really <laughs> isn't it it's kind of a terrifying thought we can never learn 
and we can never grow in any subject matter. Um, so we're still planted firmly in our sins, right? Um, so there's no glorification. And we know that in the future there's a glorification where we're, we're, we're incapable of sinning, and that's the day we're looking forward to. Um, imagine being stuck in this state for all of eternity. Yeah. So as far as um, we're eternal, so that part will never change. <coughs> yeah. But there's, will we be given, I, I can't imagine God just giving us all knowledge, all like, everything all at once. Just it's yeah. So we are immutable in, in as far as our eternal existence, but not as far as our ability to learn. We yeah. We God to that point. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, we're, we're, um, we're immutable in that we have been created by God himself and we there is no end to us to our to our existence um, but uh, the full picture of of being immutable uh, we're we're not like God you know God is incapable of change where we even in the eternal state will be changing you know because God you know it talks about in in scripture how that we're going to be learning you know God's going to be giving us instruction we're going to be we're going to have jobs, you know, there's things that we're going to be doing that's going to... It's, heaven's not going to be like, like the movies where we're floating around on a cloud with a harp, you know, <laughs> strumming a harp all for, you know, 10 billion years. I mean, how, how boring would that be, you know, I mean, really. But it's not like that. But God gives us things. He's given us tasks. We're learning things. We're learning these tasks. You know, there's, we're learning more about God. We're seeing Him for who He is. And... Um, I think it's going to be amazing, you know, to be taught by God Himself in a body that's incapable of of sin. I mean, that's amazing, you know, being able to. Can you imagine how how much that our our minds can comprehend without this sin nature that's constantly in our in our heads and and keeping us from doing what God really wants us to do, you know? And it's it's really a, a hindrance, right? But with all that gone, and and being you know in a in a body that God has um, changed, that's what's so amazing. You know, people say, "Oh, I get a new body." You don't really get a new body. You get a changed body, right? You, we get the same body, but it's changed, so it becomes something something that's new to us. But it's it's different, but it's still our body, just like Jesus. But that's what's that's what's really cool is it's. It, we're still going to be learning, though. We're still mutable. We're still. We're, we're never going to be Im immutable. Only God can be immutable, right? He's the only one, and that's going to be amazing. That's going to be cool to be able to retain everything that we learn too. Like right now, that's one of the things I pray for all the time. Is as I study, you know, I, I read the Bible, I study theology, and it seems like things just. You know, <laughs> it's just gone sometimes. So I have to keep relearning and relearning and relearning. And I'm like, God, just please, just bless me with good memory, you know, that I can remember these things. And whenever, when I study them, I want to retain everything that I studied the first time. So I have to study it a thousand times, you know, to to get it. But that's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome when we get that. So yeah, Ephesians 2, we, um, we talked about this a little before, but... Ephesians 2 says in verse 7, 
so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And that's when we're seated with him in the heavenly places. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a good verse. That's one of the verses that we look at to sh- to see that we are are learning and maturing and growing in heaven. So I've got a point here on on set page seventy one. It says the idea of being immutable is terrifying as a fallen creature. There is a certain sense in which fallen creatures are immutable as they cannot change themselves. They are immutably in sin without Christ from the day they are born. And for all of eternity, only Christ can change us. So that's one thing that we know that without Jesus, that is one thing that we're immutable in. <laughs> and that is sin. That is sin. Without, without Christ, without the gospel, without him changing our hearts, we're, going to, uh, we're, we're destined to a, a really bad future. <laughs> a really bad future. Uh, so that's uh, that's a that's an amazing thing that God comes in and changes us to to our benefit. Yeah. So for a Christian to be immutable in this sin nature, it, it's really terrifying. But hope really lies in our glorification, and that's that's something that I I, I look forward to, and I'm amazed at, and it's hard for me to comprehend all at the same time. Because I just can't, you know, it's hard for us to imagine there be ever being a time when we are incapable of sinning, <laughs> you know. It's just something that it blows my mind, and I, I'm so looking forward to that. I can't wait for that, because I hate it. You know, I preached on uh, Romans chapter 7, 14 through 24 this morning, which was talking about Paul wrestling with his sin nature. You know, he's doing the things he don't want to do, and the things he wants to do, he don't do. And I'm sitting there going, that's me. <laughs> that's me. I, I can't wait to not have that anymore and to finally have glorification and not be capable of doing those things. So the next point says, God's immutability is much different from the creature's immutability in sin without Christ. The creature's immutability in their sin had a beginning. But God's immutability had no beginning. Now, the reason I put this point in here is because true immutability um, would have to say that you had no beginning. And that gets into the seity of God, and that's really a mind blow. If God's unchangeable, that means God had no beginning. <laughs> right? There, there is no beginning. There is no point in which the God all of a sudden came into, the, into existence, into being. He's always been exactly like he is right now. There's never been a moment where he was anything less, and there's never going to be a moment where he's anything more, right? That's something that's hard for us to comprehend because that's true. Im- that's true immutability. Um, that's why that we 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 can never have true uh, immutability, even in our sin, because in our sin there was a beginning of it. Um, even though there there is no end of it without Christ, but there is still a beginning of it. So uh, that's not true immutability, and that's something that we need to understand. And it's that's something that that's mind blowing. And I can't wait till we get to the study on the seity of God, because that's what that talks about: is that God had no beginning, and there's nothing that God relies on for His being. There's nothing that He has that has to sustain Him, right? 
uh, where we have mu uh, we have mutability. We have many things that sustain us, and even in the eternal state, we can't exist outside of God. Right? God's the one even that sustains us in the eternal state, or we would cease to exist even then. So again, that's comforting that God is immutable. And, and that he's never going to change because that gives us hope that we're always going to have eternal life, right? Uh, we don't ever have to worry about that ever coming to an end. This is kind of draws into time, you know, talking about time. And time is it's both a blessing and a curse to, to humanity. So as an infant, you know, time, it, it, we, we begin to grow, to grow stronger with time. So that in a way... That's how that time is is a blessing. Is uh, we we're born into this world, we're dependent on our parents, we're weak, we're um, there's so many things that we can't do on our own, and we grow up, you know. And so as we grow up, as we mature, that's that's a blessing. That's a good thing. We no longer have to be so dependent on uh, people to take care of us. Um, but then, as an adult, uh, with time we grow weaker <laughs> so we grow stronger with time and then we begin to grow weaker all the way until death right but god is the creator of time and he stands outside of time and so there is god does not experience any of these kind of things and it's comforting to know that even though we experience the, these cop, these type of changes these type of things that god's always here with us He's always here and he's unchanging. And so we know that, you know, no matter um, if we are growing weaker unto death, that we know that when we get on the other side of that, that we're going to be okay, that everything's good. And that's why that uh, it's so comforting to know who God is and to, to know that we are Christians and that he loves us. So God is, he's immutably perfect. And that's one of the, the main points that we're going to really try to focus on on this study, and I keep bringing this up that, you know, if you're perfect and you're immutable in the, in your perfections, then there's nothing that's going to change you, right? There's nothing, there's no need for anything to change you. But us as humans, we are are not that way. And the only thing that, that I mean, there's so many things that we depend on. Um, there's so many things that that we need to cry out to God for um, and it, it, it's a it's such an amazing thing that that the gospel talks about how that we are born again right we're born new talking about a major change <laughs> talking about something that is new something that has done a complete opposite going the opposite direction of the direction that we were going and God comes in he changes us through the gospel and we're born again and it gives us this idea um, that we have changed, that we're something different now. And God in his immutability is the one that causes our change. <laughs> God in his unchangeableness changes us into the direction that we need to be going to follow him, right? So that's an amazing thing that we can see, you know, and, and find comfort in that God does this for us. And only the Holy Spirit can change this um, this state of sin that we're in, this unchangeableness that we that we talked about, this unchangeable state that we're in, um, and this destiny that we're everybody's heading toward, until the Holy Spirit comes in through the power of the gospel and changes us and sends us in a an entirely different direction. Psalm 
103.17 says, But the loving kindness of the Lord is, for, is for, from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So, again, this is just comforting and reassuring to us, and not just to us, but to our, to our children, to those, um, the people that we have raised in the church and that we've, we've tried to share the gospel with and to raise them up in the fear of God. And that's something that all of us as parents, it's probably one of our greatest desires is for our kids to remain Christians, to remain in the church, to remain faithful to God, to always fear God and to grow in that knowledge and understanding of who he is. Well, we're out of time. Is there any other thoughts on this? We're just kind of jumping into it and getting started a little bit, and um, we're going to get into some deeper stuff coming up, some stuff that will make you think. It's going to be fun. Is there any thoughts so far on what we've covered? I was thinking, you know, I find it comforting because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he wasn't that, then depending on when a person is born, they could always say, I, I didn't get that. I was cheated. I didn't have that opportunity because God changed his mind and what he did for them, he's not doing now. And what if I die before he makes another choice and changes again? Yeah. You know, what am I, what am I missing out on? Yeah. And which could be even salvation. Maybe you decide, well, this generation, I just, yeah, I don't really want them, so they'll yeah. just live their life and that'll be the end. I mean, it, it would have horrible repercussions. really would. So we know that whether somebody... And we can look at that as far as our ancestry, too, that everyone's had the same opportunity to hear the truth, to know God, and they always will. No one is left out. No one is denied anything that they need to know and to experience. Yeah, and that's, you know, what you, what you just said, too, made, made me think of, of how that, that so many people think that God changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, even. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath. You know, he's he was a God that was mean, you know. And the God of the New Testament's a God of love, you know. And so there's... And that's, that's really simple. You take even the Mormons thinking that they have to be baptized for people who have died. They have to do their temple work for them. Yeah. That, that way, if they didn't choose now, they can choose in, in the future. That, that makes God not in control of things, that he has no ability over his creation right. to, you know, to see that things are done right. Yep. It puts it back in man's hands. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does, just like all false religions, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Very good. The faithfulness of God is dependent on his immutability. I mean, without immutability, what are his promises? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's very comforting. Very comforting. Like us. I don't like you comb your hair the wrong way. I only like you when your beard was longer. Yeah, I like you better because you got a shift. Yeah, you got a <laughs> and yet that's what humans are like. Yeah. That, that's yeah. We change from moment to moment, don't we? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. Jacob, would you pray for us?